Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for each one that's here this morning. And we pray for the Hertzler family and the King family as they're gone yes. from our midst, wherever they may be. Yes. Um, Bless them. And, Lord, I just pray that you would be near to and dear to them and you would be real to them. Be real to us this morning, Lord. Bless Brother Mike and what you have shared with him, that he could share with him, give him clarity of thought. And, Lord, just anoint his heart and his mind. And uh, the words that are said, Lord, that they would be anointed and they would fall on Thank you, follow ground. And I just pray, Lord, you would help us to understand you in a deeper way. And that we would not have this altar to the unknown God, but that yes. we would know him, know yes. you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. That's kind of the title. Is I uh, just pondered what to share. First message of a new year, saying goodbye to an old year. It's hard to take all that goes through my mind and try to make it come out in some form of eloquence that will bless everybody and encourage everybody. Um and it's true, the older you get, the more you, your perspective of the shortness of our lives just kind of grows and you realize, wow, you know, we're, we're not going to live forever on this earth. And I, th- I thank the Lord for that, but uh, it really is true. And uh, you know, we look at this past year. And the past two years, a lot of social and cultural upheaval and turmoil and anger and violence and crime and death. Been a lot of that. But also this past year, Right here, we had some souls get born again. We've got good things to rejoice about and be thankful for. But as we look ahead to another year, you know, may we be ready to face whatever comes across our path. Who of the people in Colorado... At the beginning of 2021, who, how many of them do you suppose were thinking, okay, late December this year, my whole neighborhood is going to be burned down. House is going to be gone, everything. No, nope. nobody was thinking that. Nobody here was thinking that. And yet it's happened. And... You know, I I just ponder, what's in store? I hope a lot of growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. 
But will we be ready for those challenges that come? Because they're going to come. We know they are. What are they going to be? I don't know. I know one we're, we're going through right now, even today. Got a neighbor going to look at our house. You know, we've been pretty open about looking to sell our house. And, and, and I've been kind of excited about that. You know, taking the equity out and, and taking care of some financial things. And maybe, you know, paring down, getting a smaller piece of property. Because I can't handle that big one. Over, well, to me it's big. Two-thirds of an acre is not that big. But to me it is. And, um, and so I've been kind of excited until the guy next door just last week said, Hey, you ready to start looking for a house? We're ready to buy. Then I went, <laughs> Oh, now I'm scared. Because you asked, Well, where are you going to live, Mike? And I have to say, I don't know. Maybe your house. <laughs> but, you know. So there's an unknown right out there in front of us, right off the bat. So that that's okay, though. I mean, it, it's all right. But what's in store? Will we be ready? And as I was pondering what to share, a, a sort of a message to spring us into a new year, to put us on a a good word of encouragement and a a, a good word that that challenge challenges you. Um, the thing that just came to my mind is that, you know, it. for me, I will say this. I feel God in my spirit saying, I want you to seek me like you never have before in your life. And I feel it's okay to say that to everybody here. To draw near to Him like never before. And to serve Him from my heart. To die to myself like I never have before. And I've been a believer for over 40 years now. And God's saying, I, I want you to come up higher. Come unto me. Seek me. Serve me. It's right for Him to make that call upon all of our lives in a deeper way like never before. Because I think we all know the times and the social times, the political times, the upheaval, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get worse. And we need to be ready for that. And the best way to be ready for that is to be sitting right at His feet. Filled with Him, His Spirit, His Word. Fervent in prayer. Fervent in seeking Him. Fervent in reading His Word. So I thought, servants, and, you know, and of course we had two messages in December regarding being cold or lukewarm or hot. And, and I'm, I'm kind of go there a little bit more again because, man, that's been, that one was, 
was touching my heart strongly. And I've got a few stories here to share with you, too, of some men that were hot, good examples to, to chew on and to look at. But uh, that's God's desire and it's God's heart. Yes, he can't stand lukewarmness. <clears throat> and I, I humbly confess, that, man, I've, I've been there more than what I realize. And God is saying, I want you to come out of this complacency that you've just kind of settled into. And I want you to step out of that. Where it's hot. Not where it's cold, not where it's lukewarm, but where it's hot. Yes, he says, I were that you were, he, he says that, I were that you were either cold or hot and not lukewarm, but I don't think I'm stretching things too far that God would say, I'd really like you to be hot for me. So, let's talk about a few things here. Prayer, seeking Him, drawing near to Him, and then serving Him. What does that look like? I got blessed this last weekend by some young people right in my church. Blessed me on how to serve. You talk about a name. We left a name for our little church body just last a week ago, yes, last night. And I'll share this story. Any of you young people know who it was, but... but you left a name for our little church body, for the people that brought that wood to my house. And I told him, guy, he said, you know, he said, I got home. He said, you got some helpers? Yeah, I got some help coming. He said, when it was all said and done, he said, man, I didn't know you had this kind of help coming. I said, this is just God's people showing God's love. And it was a blessing. And that left behind a testimony, a name. That honors him. It's beautiful. Jesus spake, uh, says in, in Luke 18, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I, don't, I think it's easy to pull from that that Laxing and beginning to lax and, and become relaxed and begin to lose a prayer life. He is equating to fainting. When someone faints, they fall on the ground and they become unconscious for a little bit. Well, think of that in a spiritual sense. That's what's going to happen. If we begin to lose a prayer life, he's saying, Don't faint. Pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Galatians 6 Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting light. And then he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 
Now, he doesn't mention specifically prayer right there. But doing well is praying. That's a well thing to do, if I can say it that way. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If you look at that in light of prayer, we've got some prayers answered this year, this last year. It's beautiful. God showed us. See? You keep sowing, you keep sowing, you keep, you keep praying, you keep praying, you keep praying. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be reaping. It's encouraging. Because sometimes, let's face it, we've got some people we've been praying for for years. Many years. And they're still out there, bound in sin, living for themselves. Do we give up? No way. Of course, we all know that. But sometimes... Let's face it, it can get a little weary and wondering, thinking, man, don't forget George Mueller on his prayer list he had. I think it was 1,200 some people. And a lot of them did not get saved until after George Mueller died. But they still did. Wow, what an example there for us to look at. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Let's look ahead with a determination to be fervent in our prayer life and to pray like we never have before. I think we're going to need it. God's challenging me with this. Pray without ceasing, it says there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And then as, it, as Paul finishes up the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he's, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. What Jesus Gave a command several times. Watch and pray. Watch, watch, watch. How do we watch? We pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. If you don't, it's a hefty price to pay. Death is a hefty price to pay for choosing to close your eyes and not watch and pray and drawing near to God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does that imply? Watch with all perseverance. That means there's going to be some persevering that's going to take place. There's going to be times when you're running the race when you're going to be tired. And you haven't got a, a, a second wind, so to speak. 
You have to persevere. You have to, you have to continue to push a little harder and push and push a little bit more. Athletes learn to, to have to do that. They have to push themselves to make themselves better. To make themselves into, into better physical condition. They've got to push themselves. They have to persevere. We've got an enemy to persevere against. And if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know He is relentless at times. And yeah, it gets weary. But what's the option? And that's the question to ask. Well, what's the option? Just give in to this? This pushing down and pushing down and pushing down that He puts on me? Or do I keep crying out to God? Amen? Keep crying out to God. Let's have a year of prayer this next year like, like we never have. And it, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's kind of hard for me to say these things because now I'm accountable. I have to say it. I remember there's been times before where I've told God certain things and, and uh, He reminded me uh, that I said certain things to Him. And uh, it's like, wow, boy, you got to watch what you say. And yeah, you do. But that's okay at the same time. But now I'm accountable. And I think God is saying, good, son, good. You just make yourself account. You just do, oh, Lord. That's okay. That's good. So you all have the right to ask me, Brother Mike. How's it going? How's your prayer life? How you... You, you encouraged us to draw near to God in prayer and in, and in reading. I'm going to talk about reading here just a little bit here. How are you doing? Ooh. That's okay. That's good. That helps us go forward. All right. When it comes to drawing near to God and seeking and reading His Word... I've said this to a lot of young people. And I'm sure I've said it here, but I'll say it again. Those of you that don't have a family yet, you have a prime season in your life to drink this and eat this like never before. And I, I, I plead with you. Do that. Because when you've got a bunch of little ones that I trust are coming and the new generation gets brought up, your time is going to be taken up. It's supposed to be taken up. It's right that it's taken You're pouring your life out to the next generation. That's good and that's right. You should do that. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that time you, you spend with the Lord a little bit more of a challenge. It just is. That's just life. That's okay. It's not wrong. So take this time you have right now and drink this and eat this. Turn, turn to John chapter 6.
John chapter 6. You know this passage. I know you know it. But it's, it's good encouragement from Jesus Himself to all of us here. At verse 53, John 6:53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. I can't think of anything else. What he's referring to is his flesh and his blood right here. Drink and eat This has got to be your source of life. It's God's holy word written for you personally. Eat it and drink it. It's life. If you don't, you'll die. God designed it that way. In Him is life. He is our source of life. And I want, to, I want to say something. I don't have a heart attack here on me. Don't have a heart attack. I brought my phone to the sanctuary. And you probably say, oh, brother, are you backsliding? You don't ever do that, and I don't normally. But I want to say something. There are people, I, I think anyway, on this earth that... This may be their only source of a Bible. And I praise God for that. Glory to God. Okay, but it's not that way here yet. Okay. Now I know. I know that you know that I'm an old-fashioned fuddy-duddy. I am. I still am. I don't know if I'll ever get over it. There is a testimony to generations to follow when they can pick up great-grandpa's old Bible and see that it's just beat up and wore out and well used. Probably most everybody here have been to the uh, the Creation Museum. I've never seen the Ark yet, but have you, anybody here been to the Creation Museum? Okay. Some of you have. You remember? when you? I think it's when you first walk in. It's been 13, 14 years since we were there. The Ark wasn't there yet. Uh... But Ken Ham had on display his dad's Bible, opened up to Genesis. Of course, his emphasis is, you know, creation and Genesis 1 to 11. And I, I appreciate his motive there. 
but he has his dad's Bible on display, and it's open up to Genesis chapter 1, I think, and it's just filled with notes, and you can look at it and say, man, that thing got read a lot. There's a testimony there. You can look at this man's Bible who's been dead, I don't know how many years now, and say, that man read his Bible. Yeah, that's right. See, I want my great-grandkids to be able to say that about me. Now, if this is all you got, that's fine. But I don't want my great-grandkids to say, Hey, look at Grandpa's Bible. We can reach for better than that. That's what I'm saying. Amen? Is that okay to say? The practical little thing that we can leave behind that will leave a testimony. 2 Timothy says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. <sighs> Study to show yourself approved. The only way we're going to be able to... We've got to know God's word, first of all, to share the gospel... And to share it, especially with those that are insistent on disagreeing, whether they agree or not, whether they come to the knowledge of the, of the truth or not. Have they heard an accurate description of the word of God, of the gospel? The more we know this, the more we'll be able to share it more easily and readily. Peter said it encourages us to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in us. Well, part of doing that is knowing this so that we can share it. Make sense? Scripture says, uh, go ahead and turn to Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. The famous chapter there with all these examples of people that walk by faith another verse here that I know you're familiar with in verse 6 Hebrews 11 says without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them. It doesn't say that seek him, that diligently seek him. I still haven't forgotten Brother Glenn's message from, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago now about the, the promises of God do have conditions. You want to be rewarded by God in, in this way? You've got to seek Him. And you've got to seek Him diligently. That's a promise, but it's got a condition to it. Yeah, I want God's favor. I want that reward He's talking about there. Well, you have to diligently seek Him to get that. Whatever that is. I, I mean, the reward God told Abraham... Genesis 15, I 
and thy exceeding and great reward. God himself declaring to Abraham, I am your reward. You want the reward of God? The reward of God is just having him and knowing him. And that takes faith. But to get that, according to Hebrews 11.6 here, you have to diligently seek him. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, it says there. I think I have that verse somewhere. Well, he came to seek us out. And he did. Then it's right for us to turn around and to begin to seek him. And draw near to him. Because we, we would all freely admit we, we, didn't, we don't deserve. We didn't, none of us have deserved for God to come seeking us and finding us and drawing near to us and paying the price for our redemption. Nobody deserves that. But he did that. That's why, you know, we read that verse in Acts. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because of who he is and what he has done for us, he has every right to command all men everywhere to repent. He has every right to do that. The song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, the very last line of the song, love so amazing, so divine, demands, it says there. I think that's, I think that's a good word to put in there. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When I ponder all of what, who and God is, as I seek Him, and what He has done for me, His love demands me to give my all to Him, to draw near to Him, to seek Him. Seek Him. Seek Him. Like we never had before. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. That's for us the moment right now. That's for sure. Isaiah 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he, he will abundantly pardon us. Seek ye the Lord. While he may be found. <clears throat> draw near to God. He'll still draw near to you. If you're alive in this room, he'll still draw near to you. It's not too late. Seek the Lord. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. And then you can put a finger in Ephesians chapter 3 as well. It's just going to be right next door. Good verses. Good good encouragement here. <clears throat> and my heart, my hope is that you'll be encouraged and challenged to draw near to God this upcoming year like you never have before. Philippians 3 and verse 10. 
Paul's ambition in life, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's quite a thing to desire there. But you see, he's, he's remembering all what Jesus did for him. Jesus suffered for me, Paul is saying. And I want to know that suffering. I want to know what it's like. I want to know Him. You want to know Him? Do you really want to know Him? If you say, yes, Lord, I want to know You, His answer will be good. I love that type of a heart. Now let's start our walk. And He's going to take you down a walk that will help you understand what it was like for him when he walked on this earth. He delights in helping you to identify with himself. He wants us to find all of our identity in him. But he will take you down that path and take you through experiences similar to what he went through so you can understand You want to know Him? You will likely go through a season of rejection. Expect it. He was rejected. That's okay. That doesn't, it's hard. But it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means He's taking your hand and He's showing you. So that you can get a better idea of the price that He paid for you. Does that, does that make sense? He'll do that. I promise you He'll do that. It's not going to be easy. But it's not going to make it bad. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You hear what he's saying there? Lord, make conform me unto your death. That's quite a statement. Is that where my heart is? That's the question I gotta ask myself. Do I want to know him bad enough and deep enough that I'm willing to say, Lord, conform me to your death? Make me suffer if that's what it takes. If that's the path I have to walk down to know you more intimately, I'm willing to do it. I, I, I'm, by faith, I believe that that price is worth paying. Does it make sense? If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection from the dead, not as if though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. 
Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I press. I persevere. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I haven't apprehended, but I forget the things that are behind me. And I go forward. Part of that is forgiving yourself of things that God has forgiven you of. You leave that behind. If you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you're washed. Praise the Lord. It's time to leave it behind. And He would tell you, leave that behind. I dealt with that. Don't you remember? Leave it behind. Walk with me. Sometimes it's leaving victories behind. I've been guilty of this, of preaching a sermon and people just, oh, brother, that was good, that was good. And I get that in my mind and I think, oh, that must have been good, you know. I, I'm just, it's pride. I, what can I say? Um, but yeah, sometimes even holding on to past victories and going over them in your mind and relishing over them. Oh, man, that must have been good. Sometimes you've got to leave that behind. You thank God for those times, but you leave them behind because you've got pressing forward to do. You've got persevering to do. You want to, I want to know Him more tomorrow than what I know Him today. That means I, so I've got to press forward. Part of that is leaving everything behind and going forward. And over in Ephesians, more encouragement from Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. that you may be able to comprehend with all saints the breadth and length and depth and height. How wide, how long, how deep, how high. It covers all those dimensions right there. Of the love of God that He has for you. Paul saying, I want you to know the love that God has for you. Which is a little bit contradictory because he says, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. I want you to know that which is incomprehensible. Yeah. That blows my circuits up here. That's okay. The encouragement is still there. Is to know the love that He has for you. Each one of you. How how wide, how long, how high, how deep. 
That means you're surrounded. Do you understand that? Paul's saying, I want you to understand that. In a deeper, richer way. You've heard me talk a few times about Gerhard Terstegen. His whole life ambition was just to sit at the feet of Jesus and just fellowship with Him. To the point, he, it says here, as a young man, he gave up his life. As a, he was born in 1697. As a young man, he gave up his life as a successful merchant and moved into an isolated cottage in order to search for God. He gave up a successful business. That's That'd be hard to do in America. We've talked about idols and that kind of thing. You talk about an idol, a man's business, especially if it's a successful one. He gave it up and just wanted to go be with God and search for God. In 1727, this is when he would have been about 30, a revival took place and what started as a journey of solitude took a new direction as people began coming to him for spiritual guidance. Before long, he was giving personal counsel from morning to night. The numbers seeking his guidance grew to the point that he was forced to move into a house to better accommodate them. In 1731, he published his first collection of hymns, The Spiritual Flower Garden. These hymns were so popular that they were sung at weddings, social gatherings, even spoken as greetings. Thousands came to Tersegan for spiritual counsel. Many traveling great distances and sometimes waiting for hours in order to hear his words for a few minutes. He taught that God's nature is in every man and that has only become obscured by focus on outward things. I'm not sure about that. Maybe he means every believer. Uh, But all who seek the kingdom of heaven from within will find great joy in his words. He was a man that just wanted to go get along with God. He had it in his his heart. He was going to seek him like never before. And that's, that was it. That was his ambition. To know the love of Christ. See, but that was the one that God used to show the love of Christ to people all around him. You, you don't have to go searching. I mean, so God may call some of you to a specific work or to maybe begin a specific work. I don't want to put God in a box. But at the same time, if you will just determine in your heart... To draw near to Him and to seek Him like you never had before. God is going to use you. He will. That's just going to be some of the fruit that will come out of it. And He'll use you when you don't even know you're being used. That will just be some of the fruit. The reason that is, is because the believer that draws near to Him in such a way, He can flow more freely through that person. And people see less of you and more of Him. That's the Gospel. It's that simple. You draw near to Him and just lay down your life and determine. I don't care what it costs, God. I've got to know You. I've got to... I've got to draw near to you. I want to know the love that you have for me. I want to know you. 
Even if it means I have to suffer, I want to know you. That's a person that is dying to self. And when self dies, he shines more freely through that person. And you give away the aroma of Christ. And some will call you a babbler and a fool. That is the aroma to those that hate God. And to others, you're going to be an aroma of life. That is precious to God. And it's precious to souls. I like being around those kinds of people. Where there's a wellspring of life flowing out of them. It's beautiful. Okay. Let's carry on. We've got a little time here. Seek Him. Well, the other part is serve Him. Seek Him. Serve Him. A service to God, laying down your life. Turn with me to John chapter 12. This passage has been... Striking me, touching me, challenging me for the last two years, probably more so than it ever has before. John chapter 12. Again, a passage, I know you know it. We'll start at verse 23. Verse 23 itself is an amazing challenge to me. John 12, verse 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, of course, he's talking about his own death and resurrection. That time has come for me to walk through this journey. But I believe, and I know we all would all agree, that God's Word is for us even today, and God can use it to apply to our own lives even today. And so the question is, well, not the question, the statement from God Himself to us, to me, to you. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified in me, in you. And it's not that he hasn't been already, but we're talking about pressing on like we never have before. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's right for him to be glorified in you. It's right. It's his desire to glorify himself through you, through me. Will I get out of the way enough to let him do that? That's the question. And that's the question he has for each one of you and for me. And we find it in these next verses right here. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. You and I are those grains of wheat. 
And if I insist on hanging on to me and self and the things of this earth, and I choose not to die, what does it say? I will be alone. Lonely. You want to hang on to everything on this earth. You're probably going to be a pretty lonely person. You say, I might have a lot of friends. You, you might. There's a lot of people out there that appear to have a lot of friends. That deep down inside of you, you really could see in there. You'd see some really lonely people. They feel like they have nobody. Why do people commit suicide? It's not necessarily a bad thing to desire companionship and friendship. That's not a bad thing. But God says, I want you to seek that for me first. It's really a burden that I have, especially for our young believers in Christ, that I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but that you would find your Lord Jesus as your best friend. He says in John 15, I call you friends, you're my friends. God Himself calling you and I. You're my friends. Let's sit down and commune together and fellowship. We're friends. I long, especially, and, and the reason is because I know for some it's, it's really important. You want to have some friends. And I don't fault anybody for being that. But are you desiring earthly friends more than his friendship? I can testify to you the times when I was walking in that sweet communion with, with him in, in friendship. What, what that does to a person is it makes them just want to give away Christ and his friendship. And when someone does that, guess what they get? They get lots of friends. Because their priorities are straight. But they don't look, and they don't place expectations on others. They put that on themselves. The burden of their heart is, I just want to give Jesus away to my friends. I want my friends to see Jesus in me. And the friendship of Christ in me. There's a freedom that comes there. And it's a burden because I've seen a lot of very insecure people starving for friendship. And I, I, I get it, I understand it, and yet somehow, some way, I, I just want to get it in your heads that Jesus is your best friend. And He is that friend that will never let you down. But in order to find that, you've got to die like the corn of wheat. 
That takes faith. That's okay. His call is to trust Him. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Then he says, he talks about serving him, which is where we're at. Serve him. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. If any man serve me, let him follow me. There's a freedom that takes place when you give yourself away. And by faith, you say, Lord, I whoo, help me, but I will die to myself. Make me that corn of wheat. There's a lot of fruit that comes out of that. But there's a lot of life that comes to you through that. It's, it's a, it doesn't make sense. The gospel doesn't make sense to the human mind. But by laying down your life, you're choosing life. Does that make sense? <laughs> no. Say no, it doesn't. But in the spiritual sense, in the, in the light of the gospel, that's how it is. You lay down your life. That's choosing life. The command is God gave to the people of Israel. Choose life. I've laid out before you. Blessing and cursing. Choose life. How? Lay down your life. That's choosing life. No, it doesn't make sense. It takes faith. And if any man serve me, let him follow me. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life shall keep it unto life eternal. If you insist on being that corn of wheat that's going to hang on to everything on this earth, you're going to lose that little bit of life you think you have. But if you by faith will just place yourself on that altar, that's tough. It's laying sometimes it's laying down your dreams and hopes. It's not easy. But again, like I mentioned to you, You set your heart to follow Him and to want to know Him. He's going to take you down that path so that you can see a little bit more what it was like for Him. He had to lay down His life. And He did. And the fruit has come out of that. But He hated His life in this world to the point He let sinners kill Him and crucify Him on the cross. Let go. This life that we have here in America, there's a lot we can hang on to. Let go. Hate this life down here, he says. That's when you're going to find life eternal. Okay. Got to carry on here. Give away the friendship of Christ. Be a friend. Jesus said, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. <clears throat> but I have called you friends. But in order for that to happen, we have to be willing to serve him. Don't expect to be served and to not have to serve anybody and be the friend of God at the same time. It doesn't work that way. You give your life away. And God is so pleased with that. He calls you friends. He sees your faith. He sees your walk. He sees your life. He calls you His friend. And He reveals Himself to you like a friend. It's precious. It's life. But it's giving yourself away. That's serving Him. Like, like you guys did for me. That's one physical, practical way to give yourself away. I had this load of, this cord of wood coming. And I tried to talk these people out of it. It was Christmas Day, you know, a week ago yesterday. And they said, hey, can we come and bring you this load of wood on Saturday afternoon? I said, well, I I mean, yeah, you can. That's fine. But you don't have to. It's okay. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, okay, fine. And uh, <clears throat> so there was a get-together at Hertzler's that night. And uh, Stephen was wanting to play the board, the Catan board game, you know. So Sam called me up. He said, Dad, could you bring these? Over? Yeah, sure. So I loaded all the boxes of games up, brought them over to the Hertzler's. And, and I was talking to Roger there. And he said, tell him I got to get home. These folks got to my house with a load of wood. And the first thing he says, do you need some help? And of course, oh, I'm not getting any younger here. And my knees hurt worse every year, it feels like. And so I was like, well, I won't turn it down. And uh, so I get home and here's, here's this, this couple, about older, older couple, about my age, you know, and uh, older and they're throwing the wood off into my driveway, and it's raining. If it hadn't been raining, I'd just throw it there. I'll, I'll get it underneath my little woodshed. But then here come everybody. I don't know how many of you were there. There was quite a few there. And uh, it was wet outside. It was kind of chilly. And Stephen, the one who wanted to play the board games, he was the one right next to me loading up the wood. Bless you. And I don't think you ever did play that game. But, but, but that's serving. That's blessing. That blessed me. It helped me. But it blessed my heart. And I was so very grateful for that. But that's serving. Serving your brethren is serving Christ. That was a blessing. Tremendous blessing. And I appreciated that. A beautiful example. Uh, turn over to Hebrews 11 again, if you would. I've got to start to begin to wind this down. This is, well, Moses was a, a man of God who 
went out in the wilderness for 40 years, he had to be broken. And he was broken to the point that he didn't, I mean, he argued with God about going to be the spokesman for the people of Israel in Egypt. Lord, I can't talk. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't do it. 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 Fine, I'll send you my... You take Aaron, your brother. He'll be the spokesman. You're going. That's kind of my paraphrase. I think you understand that. <laughs> so in Hebrews 11, starting at verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He could have had that. He could have had the pleasures of sin for that short season of his short life. And yes, even 120 years is a short life compared to eternity. That's how long he lived. But he could have had that. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches and the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He said, no, give me, give me, give me God and his people above what Egypt has to offer to me. The pleasures of sin for a season. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I love that last little verse there. As seeing him who is invisible. His, his life <clears throat> and his decisions to follow after God and to be the servant of God and to let God's people be his people and be precious to him. God's testimony, what he has to say about it, it's as if he could see the one. It's as if he could see him. The one that nobody can see. That's what his faith looked like. God help us that that's what our faith would look like. That the testimony would be these people, they live in such a way as if they can see God. I don't know where he's at, but it's, it's like they can see him. They can hear him. They know him. I heard a story about George Whitfield one time. I don't know if this was verified as true or not, but I heard a story. You know, he was a famous preacher back in the 1800s, and he knew John Wesley, and John Wesley were friends, even though they're theologically they were fairly different. The story I heard was there was an atheist in this one certain town that George Whitfield was, <clears throat> was preaching at, and he had a business and a business partner, and this atheist was heard George Whitfield was preaching over here in this church. And he packed up and said, I'm going to go listen to this. And his partner said, what are you doing? You're an atheist. You don't believe George Whitfield, what he has to say. He said, no, but George Whitfield believes what George Whitfield preaches, and I'm going to go hear him preach. So there was a testimony of his life, of knowing God and serving God, to the point that even some of the atheists said, right? yeah, I'll go listen to that guy. If they die in their sin, there's really no excuse for them. They've heard the gospel. But, but there was a life of faith coming through seeking and serving. 
It was evidenced through seeking and serving. And the call, as I begin to wind this down, I think of a few verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's, that's the reasonable thing to do in light of eternity, in light of the truth of the gospel, which is the truth. The reasonable thing to do is just lay down your life for Christ. You see, that... That's not necessarily fun sometimes. No, it's not. But you think the alternative is better? In light of eternity. We've got to think past. Another year has gone by. Went by quick, didn't it? You think this one next come that 2022 is going to go by any longer than last year? No. If anything, it's going to seem like it's going to go by faster again. What are we going to do with it? The end of this year will be here before we know it. What are we going to be able to say? What's God going to be able to say? Have we sought Him like we never have before? Have we served Him like we never have before? Have we given our heart, soul, and mind to Him like we never have before? I believe that's the call He's putting on us. He's putting on me anyway. And it's not that I'm assuming everyone's doing poorly spiritually. But we all know there's more of Christ to grab a hold of. There's always more. And His call is, I want you to come up for more. I want you to press towards the mark like you never have before. I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice like you never have before. That's the reasonable thing to do. It's the logical thing to do. I read this just the other day. I read this verse I don't know how many times. For some reason, it just got kind of more personal to me. As a call of God. Genesis 17. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram. And said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That's a high call. I think it's only going to come as we do this. Anybody ever heard of John Harper? Ever heard the name John Harper? He was a pastor in Scotland. 
widower. His wife died during childbirth of their only child, their, their daughter. And he got invited to come, and he'd been a successful pastor of a couple churches there. <clears throat> Had a name, like we heard about in children's lesson. Everywhere he went, just Jesus just flowed out of him. Everywhere he went. Got an invitation to be a pastor at uh, a church in Chicago. D.L. Moody started. Dwight Moody, they claim that he led millions to Christ. John Harper said, okay, we'll go. Take my daughter, took his niece. And they started across the Atlantic on the Titanic. When pastor and widower John Harper, his niece, and six-year-old daughter, Nana, boarded the Titanic, they were en route to Moody Church in Chicago. The church was waiting to welcome the Harpers to their new home, as he had accepted their invitation to be pastor of the renowned church. Harper had already successfully led two churches in Glasgow and London. I'm sorry, I guess he was in England, not Scotland. His preaching style was perfect for an evangelist, according to the words of another local pastor. He was a great open-air preacher and could always command large and appreciative audiences. He could deal with all kinds of interrupters. His great and intelligent grasp of Bible truths enabling him to successfully combat all assailants. <clears throat> it was his brother that made the claim that John Harper was a man of intense prayer. Talk about seeking God. His brother George wrote, My beloved brother was a, mighty, a man mighty in prayer. He was a master of this holy art. I have been with him in prayer again and again when his whole frame shook like an aspen leaf. So earnest was he in his pleadings with God for a perishing world. Sorry, this just strikes me. pierces my heart. Little wonder hard hearts were broken and stubborn wills subdued under his ministry. Being a widower, he may have been allowed, uh, <clears throat> obviously you know what happened to the Titanic. They hit the iceberg at 11.40, I think it was that evening. <clears throat> Took his daughter down to the lifeboats, handed her over, and pleaded with the people there, would you take care of her? He says he gave her a kiss. And he, just, he knew that would be it. And then he went about pleading with people. You're going to die. Are you saved? To the point he took his life jacket off. One person, stubborn person, took his life jacket off. said, you need this more than I do. He went up top ahead for, for a time and, and prayed. And then he went about just pleading with people. You're going to die soon. 
And three hours later, the ship went under the water, and that was it. <clears throat> and there were people out in the water, frigid water. There was one particular man <clears throat> that Harper saw. He swam up to him, and he said, Sir, are you saved? And his answer was, No, I'm not. He said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then the waters parted him for a while. About an hour later, they found themselves again. And he said, are you saved yet? He says, I'm sure I'm not. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the story went that that man at that moment believed on the Lord. And John Harper went down for the last time. And he drowned. It was four years later at a meeting in Canada. <clears throat> Titanic survivors meeting in Canada. One survivor recounted his interaction with Harper in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic. And he gave this story of how he came across him twice. And the man said, I'm the last convert of John Harper. That's a man that was hot. Down to his last breath. He laid down his life. He was a corn of wheat that was willing to die. And life came out of it. <clears throat> I'm going to close the pond. Sorry, I'm going kind of long here. Okay, as we look ahead, here's a poem by Terstegan. I assume it's probably a hymn. <clears throat> I couldn't find it, but I found this poem. God calling yet, shall I not hear? God calling yet, shall I not hear? Earth's pleasures, shall I hold dear? Shall life's swift passing years all fly, and still my soul in slumber lie? God calling yet, shall I not rise? Can I his loving voice despise and basely his kind care repay? He calls me still. Can I delay? God calling yet, and shall he knock? And I my heart the closer lock. He still is waiting to receive. And shall I dare his spirit grieve? Ah, yield him all. In him confide, <clears throat> where but with him doth peace abide. Break loose, let earthly bonds be riven, and let the Spirit rise to heaven. God calling yet, and shall I give? No heed, but still in bondage live? I wait, but he does not forsake. He calls me still, my heart awake. God calling yet, I cannot stay. 
My heart I I yield without delay. Vain world, farewell, from thee I part. The voice of God hath reached my heart. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go.